Welcome to the Kingdom Rooms podcast with Scott McKnight, the conversation designed to look at how the kingdom took root then and how it's taking root now. Today for the podcast, we have a conversation with Dr. William Scheel. Scott, Dr. William Shields, the you know, president of, of Northern Forest here, where we record this podcast from. And what do our listeners have to look forward to in our conversation with uh, our Northern president? Well, this is a, a great opportunity for the listeners to the Kingdom Roots podcast to hear what's on the heart of William Shield, our president, but also uh, to ask some questions that people are interested in uh, who listen to our podcast and even people who've asked me about our president. What, 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 what's going on with him? What does he like to talk about? What does he study? And uh, we're going to talk to him about... Uh, you know, pastoring and what does he miss about pastoring. We're going to talk to him about sermon preparation. He has some very interesting ideas about how to prepare sermons. And one of the great excitements for me about his sermon preparation is he does it in communion with other pastors. So it's not just his own thoughts. And, um, you know, as a president, uh, presidents can get lost in the routines and the demands and the ever-pressing concerns, uh, the tyranny of the urgent. And and Shield demonstrated as a pastor in Tallahassee that he was able to maintain both his pastoral work and keep a foot in the academic world. I, I heard him last December give an academic paper uh, at the American Academy of Religion and Society of Biblical Literature, and he was standing there with some great scholars on performance criticism, and he was right there with them. And then he's going to tell us a little bit about Northern Seminary and what he thinks our seminary is about that I'd like uh, people to hear because, uh, you know, it, it can't just come from me. They, people have to hear it from other people as well. So uh, I look forward to this opportunity uh, to talk with our president, William Scheel. Yeah, and we hope you enjoy our conversation. Thanks for joining. I'm really excited today to have the president of Northern Seminary with us, Dr. William Scheel, whom we will call Bill, as um, our colleague and brother in Christ. Uh, I met Bill uh, a year and a half ago or so as a result of an invitation from his church to come speak. And uh, from providential guidance and leading and prompting and very surprise changes and shifts. Uh, we are thrilled to have Bill as our president and uh, to have been guided by the Lord to Northern Seminary. And this first few months have been nothing but exciting for all of us, including, I am very happy to say, the most exciting faculty meeting I have ever attended uh, yesterday afternoon, and it lasted for almost four hours, and that's almost unbearable for me to think about. But uh, we had a great time. Um, but even during that time when I was sitting there looking at Bill, uh, guiding us and leading us, uh, coming from that uh, large church in Tallahassee, I, I at times wondered, uh, a question I wanted to ask you is, what do you miss most about pastoring? 
Well, thanks, Scott, and it's uh, it's an honor to be with you here uh, and to have a conversation with you and Chaz. I, I'm just so grateful to be a part of the Northern Seminary community and to join you in the great work that you are doing for the church. It's a it's a rare gift that a seminary like Northern uh, would have someone like you and someone like Chaz to to uh, gather together for us all to do as as Paul said in Romans 12 to offer our lives, our bodies as living sacrifices, and to renew our minds together. And it, it is an exciting time to be a part of Northern. Um, there have been a few days where I've missed pastoring. Uh, sometimes, though, uh, what you miss most about pastoring is the opportunity to uh, be a part of uh, the journey on individual relationships. I, I miss the ordinances, the baptisms, the baby dedications, the the Lord's Supper services, the Eucharist, those sorts of things where you are uh, able to walk with people, even weddings and funerals. Those kinds of moments in people's lives are rare opportunities where uh, the Lord opens the doors of hearts and you get to walk right with them in, into a life-changing decisions. Uh, in fact, I was reminded of that a couple of weeks ago. I was on a flight uh, back uh, to Northern uh, after visiting someone on behalf of the seminary, and I happened to sit down on a plane, and there was a young man sitting beside me, and he was eager to talk. And by the time the conversation was over, I discovered uh, that he was uh, moving up to the Chicagoland area to live out in the western suburbs to uh, move closer to his girlfriend so that they could make decisions about the next step in life. And they happened to be attending uh, the same church as our own Chaz Robbins attends. So anyway, we had a wonderful conversation and uh, it has led to, I think, uh, some other decisions that that he and his girlfriend are making about their lives in Christ. So, you know, that part of it is the part that uh, uh, you don't get to do every day as a seminary president. So when those uh, conversations come along, it's just a joy to uh, share those providential moments in life with them. Yeah, you know, I appreciate your conversation and, and time, you know, you spent with them because funny thing, after your conversation, the very next weekend at church, um, I, I had the chance to run into them. And um, yeah, I just had a great conversation about, um, you know, where God was leading in their life and their, um, you know, deciding to take steps and uh, going public with their faith and baptism, which is, is very neat um, to be able to see their journey. And they definitely um, talked you up and appreciated the, the perspective that you had. And um, so that's kind of cool to see. It's a, a small world and, and God uses us different ways. Good. I don't think, Bill, I don't think you will ever escape your pastoral gift and uh, find ways of pastoring people, as I know you're doing already on our campus. One of the elements of pastoring uh, for, for students at a place like Northern Seminary or seminary students around the world, uh, and some of our listeners who are pastors and preachers and teachers, um, is about is the is the gift or the calling and the demand and the grind of preaching, and I would like you to reflect for a few minutes for us over your experience as a pastor, as a as a regular preacher, how much time you spent on sermons and what you have what you learned about how much time is needed to prepare a sermon, and I asked this question. Because recently, Tim Keller 
said, uh, or I, I saw something from Tim Keller who said something like, uh, if pastors spend 20 hours on the sermon, they need to drop, I think he said something like 12 to 15 of those hours and go spend that time with people and spend, you know, four to eight hours, something like this. In other words, he was making the the rather audacious claim uh, and something that would have gone against my system many years ago that uh, preachers need to spend more time with people during the week than they do and less time perfecting the art of sermon making. So, you know, just in light of that, uh, what kind of wisdom do you have to us? What kind of stories about uh, how much time it takes to prepare a sermon? Sure. Well, uh, you know, I think one one thing about pastoring and preaching is you are always preparing sermons. Um, another way to say that is you're never not preparing a sermon uh, because that, you know, that is for me as a pastor, the most significant uh, time of the week because that is when you have most of the people gathered together in one spot to worship the Lord and to share together. And so you are sharing life together and joining them on the journey and le- and leading them uh, toward living out Christ's call in their lives. So uh, for me, the preaching time was an expression of, of not only uh, my leadership role as a pastor, but then also my own personal journey. So, um, you know, if you were to boil it down and just say, okay, if I was starting from scratch and I was going to work on a sermon and write it, you know, if for maybe a 20 to 30 minute message, I, I might spend all told 15 hours or so preparing. But my pattern for preparing a sermon was, is probably a little different than most most people um, you know, I would look about six months out and um, try to follow the church year, trying to follow the lectionary, but also spending a considerable amount of time, much as we do in the Northern New Kind of Preacher program, where you are talking in community with other pastors and also other pastors on staff, um, where we would share together ideas. I would pay attention to the pastoral conversations I was having, my own prayer time, uh, so that by the time I got to the actual writing of a sermon, um, that I had in general a sense of, okay, this is the direction that I think uh, I need to go right now in the life of my congregation. Of all the things I could say, here are the themes, here are the issues, these are the topics that that need to be addressed, and then here is the theme or how we're going to get at those uh, particular texts. Uh, so then that's when I would dive into my own reflections on the text, uh, reading through commentaries, spending some time in a local library going through and, and finding the articles and books that I felt were most relevant to the topic at hand on that particular text. And and my preaching style is pretty much to preach with one text. I might refer to other texts in Scripture, but I, was, I stayed primarily with one passage of Scripture um, in the sermon. And then um, about two to three, maybe four weeks ahead of time, um, about two months ahead of time, actually, I would send the main themes to our, our our worship team, whoever was leading worship, and then about four weeks ahead of time, I would have basically the gist of the sermon written. Uh, about ten days before that actual sermon, I would write the sermon, uh, a four-page manuscript. I'd tweak it on Monday, and then I would spend the weekend before the sermon um, – 
memorizing the text because oftentimes once I memorize the text, um, the sermon would change. I would hear it aloud and I'd hear it spoken and I would adapt my message to how the text was heard rather than just simply read silently. And then I would memorize the manuscript so that by the time I got to the preaching moment, um, I had, you know, maybe two or three different ways that I could deliver the sermon depending on who was in the congregation that that morning. So um, mm-hmm. there, you know, because I've had to preach to four or five different audiences over my ministry, and I found that every time the audience is, uh, every time people come to worship, it's a different audience. And there might be a senior adult audience, say, in a nine o'clock service, and more of a young adult audience at 11, at an 11 o'clock service. And you just adapt to the, the crowd and you adapt to the audience and something that is funny to one crowd is just is a dud for another crowd. So the more practice and time you put into it, um, the more you begin to become yourself and then also uh, to share yourself with your your congregation and, and you get feedback and it just leads to the next uh, the next sermon. Well, I mean, that, this is very interesting because I've wondered, I, I, I've known from your sermons that you don't you don't seem to have notes. Uh, you seem to have just a Bible open. I, I know some people have had uh, stick it notes inside their Bible. It looks like they're reading the Bible, but they're looking at their notes. But um, I, I wondered how you did this. I, I, here's what I find when I'm invited to speak somewhere and I say yes, or even at our own church, the minute, uh, almost the minute that I'm asked, I... I look at the text, for instance, at our church, because we use a lectionary, I look at the text that I'm supposed to speak on, and I sort of size up the direction of the text, and then it just starts to brood in me. And and then I like on the Monday or the Tuesday before that Sunday to sit down in one uh, spell and write out the whole sermon. But during the intervening time, I'm asking questions. I'm looking at commentaries. I'm looking at books. I'm thinking of direction. I'm thinking of theology that can influence the different kinds of people who will be in the congregation. So uh, I don't know that I spend as much time as you do, uh, but I do know that once once I'm told what it's going to be, I, it, it grabs me and I'm done. I, I, I can't wait till I deliver it. And so uh, uh, very interesting because I think that there are some ideals that are set out for pastors that they have to spend a certain amount of time in the Greek or the Hebrew and a certain amount of time in the commentaries. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't always work that way. So I like to hear how you, uh, are working way in advance and discussing with others what you think that that sermon might, might be. Well, um, I would add to that, Scott, just based on even what you said there, is I, I think every pastor wants to become comfortable enough uh, to preach in a way that he's not worried um, or she's not even worried about if her preaching professor showed up in the congregation that morning. And when you become comfortable enough in your own skin to find your voice, as Frederick Beekner said, but also yeah. to preach to your audience. Only you as a pastor know your people. Mm-hmm. And um, it's so important to give yourself permission to say, you know, what worked for my preaching class 
to a group of seminarians does not always work for this given congregation in this moment. And I found one of the most liberating things for me is, is I realized that on Wednesday nights, which in my tradition I would teach on Wednesday nights and preach on Sunday mornings, I found a better response from the teaching moment on Wednesday nights than I was from the, the sermons or the homilies. Well, I, you know, when I started incorporating the teaching elements into the sermon, it became a whole new world for me as a pastor to say, well, you know, I know this is not how they taught us to do it in seminary, but it is working for this congregation at this time. So giving yourself permission to try different things, and, mm -hmm. and sometimes, whether that's with media, sometimes with other uh, movie clips, sometimes with, with art, you know, any way that, that refreshes yourself will refresh your congregation and give them permission to know you as well as to to, to go with you on the journey that Christ uh, has for you. You know, I'm really glad that you talk about finding your voice because you know, as a young pastor and preacher myself, I know one of the challenges I see myself facing is, you know, listening to a lot of great guys, a lot of great communicators, and then almost trying to, to replicate how they do it and their voice that they've uniquely found. And I think, you know, for any young preacher, that's that's a, a real challenge and, and difficulty to be able to find your voice. But when you do, um, man, it seems like that's such an important element of communication. You know, and, and I would agree with this, um, that you talked about uh, preaching uh, in light of the fact that maybe your homiletics professor would show up. Um I speak in a lot of different churches, and sometimes it can be intimidating, but I've never been in a more intimidating audience than our small uh, church now that we attend, Church of the Redeemer. Uh, Kevin Van Hooser sits in there, and Graham Cole, and Dana Harris. It seems like there's somebody in every field who's a professional specialist, and I'm thinking, well, I've just got I've I've to speak to our church and I've got to speak how the Lord has directed me to communicate from this text. And if if uh, if I don't know the latest special special knowledge about this text, that's the way it is. Someone can help us along. And uh, so, you know, I think being comfortable enough with yourself to handle your audience is really important. So uh, good thoughts on that. Uh, Bill, this this is a change of subjects uh, slightly, but um, after I spoke at your church, you gave me your book on performance, and I read it on memory and performance and how early letters would have been performed in churches, and like say the letters of Paul when they were read publicly, and how early preachers performed or early teachers or early lawyers I'm thinking of Cicero, and how they performed their speeches in public settings. Uh, so this was a really good book for me, and uh, one of the one of the interesting features for me in the process of Northern calling you and then your invitation, your invitation, then accepting, was a concern on my part. Uh, will Will Bill Shield lose his academic edge because of the demands? of presidency and the demands of administration. So I wonder if you've thought about this and what steps you're taking or just how, you know, how will you be an academic with the sort of demand on your schedule now? Well, that's a great question. I'm still figuring that out, uh, Scott, but I do, uh, 
I do plan to, to have a day on the calendar that is what I just call my day, a day to refresh and renew and to think and to write. I, I have a couple of writing projects that are still in the works. Uh, I have a, uh, a book on Acts called Contextualizing the Gospel that comes out uh, hopefully this fall. And, uh, and I have a small Bible study book on Exodus that I'm still doing the, the research for. Um, and, you know, so by having a few projects in the works, I will have an excuse to keep writing. And then I'm staying in touch with my friends in the performance criticism area and in the world of performing the New Testament so that um, as I'm teaching preaching and then also uh, having a chance and opportunity to interface with uh my friends uh, in academia, I think I will be able to continue to contribute um, from a different angle and a different perspective. Uh, um, I'll have some time to go deeper rather than wider in research. You know, as a pastor, you have to know in order to keep up the variety and to be faithful to the entire biblical witness, you've got to know a little bit about a lot of different books. And so I found myself researching and writing, um, but also having to spread myself so thin across the canon, I, I, I'd never had a chance to dive in very deeply. So the nice thing about um, serving here at Northern is I have a chance to um, go much more deeply into uh, this world that I've been studying and practicing and then begin to develop uh, uh, even more um, in that particular area. You know, I uh, I paid attention to you once we uh, once I spoke at, at your church, and I was I was very impressed that you were able, uh, even at the level that you were able, to keep up in the academic world uh, while pastoring, and I and I thought that was such a good model for so many pastors who either give up because they don't they don't get the time they'd like to have or who, who need an example of someone who is demonstrating to them that as a pastor, I wrote an academic book and I wrote a couple commentaries. Uh, no, they're not, uh, they're not on the level of Walter Brueggemann or, uh, uh, you know, N.T. Wright or the ICC commentaries, but you were able to expose yourself to a broad range of reading. And I looked at your, your work on Acts and I was suitably impressed with the sorts of people you were interacting with. So I think you provided a good model. And, I, and in some ways, uh, the question is, uh, I don't know if your schedule will be busier as a president or as a pastor, but uh, whatever balance you found uh, from pastoring to also working in some, some writing as a pastor, I think you'll be able to do as a president. So I, I was really impressed with that. Um, Speaking of Northern, uh, Bill, I wonder, uh, you've been here, you've been here, I suppose, we would say March 1st is, is perhaps when you came. Yep, first day. Mm -hmm. But uh, I suspect that you started entering into the Northern world once you started getting interested and, and the process began to open up opportunities for you back in the fall or at least early winter. I don't know if you consider... Florida's December a winter or not <laughs> we, we, we will show you next December what a real winter is like but I've I now that you've been here a few months 
Uh, you've been on campus, sort of full immersion as you waited your uh, the arrival of your family, Kelly and the two boys, Parker and Drake. I wonder uh, if there are three words that you had to say about Northern, what would they be? Well, if I had to summarize it in three words, I would say living Christ's call, Scott. It's It's been a, a great journey so far, and, and I can't tell you how uh, how wonderful it is to be received so warmly here uh, at Northern. But what I found about our, our students as well as our faculty um, and our staff and, and even our alumni, people did not come to Northern to figure out whether or not they should be involved in some kind of church vocational ministry. Uh, God had already placed a calling on their lives. The risen Christ had called them. They were already serving somehow in a church, associate pastor, doing some kind of uh, ministry, uh, living on mission. So they were already uh, following and hearing, and they had answered Christ's call. But what I found here, what is so exciting about our community, is we are living the incarnational life. We are already planted in communities, uh, whether that be Orland Park or whether that be Inglewood, whether you're somebody like Jonathan Brooks right in the midst of um, the, on the south side of Chicago, or whether you're somebody like Chaz Robbins, who is out in the in Orland Park, or Tara Beth Leach um, in Pasadena, California, people are living out that call, but it is the call of the risen Christ. It's the resurrection of Christ that compels us and opens so many doors to say, yes, because of his work, he is calling us now in these places uh, to share the hope that we have uh, based on uh, our biblical approach, our personal missional approach at Northern, uh, that we have a, a wonderful opportunity now to share evangelistically uh, the hope that Christ offers uh, to every human being. And, uh, and it's so exciting uh, to join with people and to, then to help them to provide the training um, and the competency to go along with their character and their calling, uh, to walk beside them in community, whether, uh, you know, the first two months I, I spent as a resident in Lindner Tower. So I like to tell people I put the resident into president. Um, so that was a, it was just a, a tremendous gift to just get to know these students here. But that's just a third of our student body. We have people who come from all across the country uh, to and even into Canada to join with us here uh, at different times of the year. So to help them as we together live Christ's call, where Christ has planted us, called us, and use, and is using us uh, to open hearts and to change lives uh, for the sake uh, of the gospel. Very good, Chaz. You have uh, you have questions. Uh, yeah, along you, the... you know, I'd be curious, Bill, if along those lines, with you know, seminary and um, just thinking about uh, people in the church, maybe, you know, like you said, it's not their first career and um, they're coming into ministry later and they may be working at a church now or just kind of um, processing that question and calling on their life in general. Why do you think it's important to go to seminary and wrestle with those things versus just start working at a church and uh, kind of studying on your own and, and doing your own thing to study and prepare to, to be a pastor and to fill that call God's put on your heart? Well, I think anyone who's ever volunteered a few moments at church and worked four or five days realize um, 
very quickly that there's a whole lot more to church than what you see on Sunday. And just the complex dynamics of church culture coupled with our society's many cultures uh, causes us immediately to say, okay, together uh, we need a special level of training and competency for the challenges of today, but also the opportunities that are before us. I mean, as I've heard this used so many times, but, but, but I, I've reflected on this as well. Um, if you wanted to be a dentist and you showed up in your dentist's office and he and your dentist said to you, well, that they felt passionate about it and they were excited about it and they just decided to show up at the dentist's office and start pulling teeth, you would immediately leave the chair because you knew that your dentist was not trained to do the very important work on your teeth. Well, I'd like to say that ministry is a little more than just pulling teeth, okay? <laughs> but there are times when in church work we are doing major invasive work as Christ's agents uh, to work on people's lives and hearts. And especially during the, the complex challenges of life today, seminary is not only here for you today, but your seminary community is going to be here with you for for the rest of your lives. I mean, I, I met with a group of, of pastors in Lawndale on, on the west side of Chicago, and one of the really interesting things that these women and men shared with me is how much contact they continued to have with Northern even after they graduated and how much they longed to be a part of programs like the New Kind of Preacher program and programs like the Master of Arts and New Testament and other programs that walk with you throughout your seminary time, but then after seminary, walk with you into the next step. Uh, one of the pastors said uh, in one of the meetings, they said, you know, uh, my seminary class did not necessarily equip me to be ready to preach three funerals for three uh, children in our neighborhood who had been victims of, of gunshot wounds and had died because of, because mm -hmm. of violence. But my seminary pastor communities pastors in my community have surrounded me as I've walked through these days. And that's what has Fantastic. prepared me and helped me and worked with me uh, as I go forward. You know, I, I would agree with you on, uh, you know, sometimes we get a little bit of a, a feeling that students come and go, but uh, there is an increasing desire on the part of our students to be connected to one another. And those connections survive classes they survive uh, an academic degree, and they go on into the next years and decades as they meet with one another. So uh, I think one of the greatest things about seminary education is the friends you meet in the ministry that you've been called to. And over time, those friendships and those ministries are enhanced and developed because uh, of what happened at seminary. So I'm, I'm really glad you brought that up about our, uh, the pastors down in Chicago. That's fantastic. Yeah, and you know, that's I, I think my experience has been the same uh, as that in going to seminary. And I think as we you know, look at 
what we'd like and try to talk about on the podcast with the kingdom taking root now, I think that's some of the the best reasons of why it's able to take root and, and why it is taking root so well when we have those community of, of people surrounding us to not only um, instruct and, and and give us a vision for how to do it, but also to empower each other to know that we're not doing it alone, that we can walk together on this journey. Yeah. And I would just add to this, uh, and Scott probably knows this, Chaz, you know this as well, but one of the unique features of Northern is not just a collection of students that, that love Christ, but I'll tell you the thing that I hear over and over and over again from our students and alumni is how much they appreciate the time that our faculty give to them personally and individually, not only in the classroom, but also throughout their ministry lives. And so many of them, Scott, have talked about your personal touch and your work with them and your care for them, whether it's DMIN seminars or whether in the, in the New Testament cohorts. And that could be said of every one of our faculty members. Everybody likes to brag on their faculty, but but the unique thing about Northern is our faculty are living out this calling, not only as professors, but also in their churches, and the personal touch that our faculty offer our students it just makes an eternal difference in their lives. Yeah, I, you know, I, when I came to Northern, I was thrilled by the engagement of my colleagues, uh, David Fitch, Cherith Fee Nordling, um, Bob Price, Claude Maratini in with their students, uh, with others around the school as well at times, but, uh, even more with their churches. I mean, I think our faculty care, they, they really care about what's going on in their local church. And I, and I think this, this is what we should be doing. So, well, uh, Bill, it's great to have you with us today. And great to hear from you. We we will definitely have you back on uh, Kingdom Roots at some time in the future. Um, and uh, to hear more of your reflections on what, what can happen at Northern, but also what's happening in your own life and in your own work. So well, thank you, Scott. Thanks very thank much. You, for being thanks, Bill. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks for joining us on the Kingdom Roots podcast. We hope this conversation's been uh, helpful for you and uh, just li- listening in to what's on the heart of uh, our president, William Scheel. And I uh, want to let you know that if you're interested in uh, reading any of those resources that we mentioned today, um, well, I'll include links for that in the podcast description uh, as well. One of his books, Ezekiel, God's Presence and Performance. Uh, if you're a pastor preaching through the book of Ezekiel, man, would be a great reference uh, for you in that. But just want to say thanks for joining us, and we will be with you next time.